Well, thanks, Chantal. Uh, thank you for getting through three readings. <clears throat> Have you ever been to a school reunion? Hands up if you've been to a school reunion. Or if you're still at school... Have a think about, just picture your tutor group, say, and have a think about what they're going to look like in 10 years' time, how you think they might turn out. Because, I mean, I think Facebook has kind of spoilt school reunions recently because you just get a slow drip feel of each other's gradual demise on a daily basis. But it used to be really exciting because you're not sure how people are going to turn out. And, and it can be a real surprise. I remember my first one, um, Adam Bickerton was always a scrawny little lad. And he turned up at school reunion, dead pleased with himself, leather jacket, white Italian socks, tassely shoes. This was the 80s. Sitting on the bonnet of his Ford Capri. There was a girl called Caroline. She was pretty predictably married already. Uh, one girl in my, in, um, my sister's year was a, was a TV soap star. You, you get to see how everyone has fared for better or worse uh, even though we all went to the same school. And my school was pretty good, you know, it was quite, did well in league tables, real sense of community. I really enjoyed being there. But even the best school can turn out bad eggs. You can get the best advantage in life, the best start, best teaching, best curriculum, and still turn out rotten. In fact, um, just a few years ago, just my year group was arranging um, a reunion on Facebook that I saw, and um, suddenly everything ground to a halt. And everyone's like, Where's the guy who was organizing it? Well, it turned out he was in prison and didn't have really good access to Facebook anymore. So you never know how people are going to turn out. But today, Isaiah tells us how God's people have been perfectly prepared, perfectly provided for, but turn out bad. But before we get to that, we're going to see how God has a plan um, that he will fulfill to make his people more perfect than head boy and head girl at a posh school's year 12 formal. So we're in a series on Isaiah, um, even though we have the New Testament readings as well, but we're in this series on Isaiah, and we're picking up today in, in chapter 4. And, and, but before we've got to this point in chapter 4, we've been learning that there's a day coming um, Isaiah 2.12 The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. So on this day, regardless of how we've responded to God, God is going to do what he always planned to do. Well, what will happen? Um, I, verse 17, chapter 2. The arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Uh, God has promised to bring disaster on Jerusalem to make it destitute and desperate. But beyond this judgment, there is hope. Beyond judgment, the day of the Lord is like a coin with a, a flip side. It's also a day of restoration, a day of salvation. So this is our first point. I've just made a token effort to keep with the vineyard theme. God will produce a glorious vintage, a glorious vintage through his branch. Now, picture yourself as an Israelite listening to Isaiah. Uh, you've just heard about the terrible, like things are bad already, and him is at the gate sort of thing. But you've heard this terrible fate of Jerusalem on this day of the Lord. So when you hear Isaiah say again, verse 2, in that day, you're like, oh, Oh, great. What other disasters could we be kind of look forward to? 
But instead we get this. Look with me, verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. The branch of the Lord. What's, all, what's this branch of the Lord? Well, the word for branch here, it carries that sense of family tree. And it's, uh, and it's the Lord's family tree that we're talking about. And I could show you loads of places elsewhere in the Old Testament where the, the branch refers to a descendant of King David. Uh, just one example, Jeremiah 23, 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So the branch is the God's promised king or anointed one or Messiah. And from, from here on in, God's purposes for his people come together under this branch. Now, we're in a more privileged position than, than Isaiah and his audience, because for us, this prophecy has already at least partly been fulfilled. So you're going to need your fingers today. We're going to be flipping between Isaiah 4.5 and John 15. And then for the third point, we'll need Matthew 21. So at least have your finger in those two places for now. So John 15.5. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is this beautiful and glorious branch. All the good things God will do in this new future Jerusalem will come through Jesus. God has a set purpose. He's got promises that he intends to keep at the end of time on that day. And we'll have a look at them in a minute. God is going to keep those promises through Jesus. And the great news is we can be sure that God will do this because he's already started to do it in Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. I wonder, do you ever find yourself wondering if God really is in control? If he really can, he's going to make his plans come true? Sometimes there's just so much bad news at once. In, you know, refugees all over the world in crisis. Climate change. Donald Trump as a presidential candidate. I'm just waiting for the other three horsemen of the apocalypse. I don't know about you. Is God really in control? And us Christians, uh, the church, we're supposed to be the forefront of, God, of what God is doing in the world. But when you're at work or uni or school, do you feel like that? Or do you feel a little bit alone and, and helpless? It's small. I mean, I know when I was working at the Royal Adelaide, I didn't exactly feel like God's secret ninja weapon for his purposes in the world. Or maybe you've sinned. Maybe you know you've got it wrong and you feel Shame, you feel sad, you, you repented, but you feel sad and ashamed. You feel like you're moonwalking backwards in your Christian walk, not running the race. Sometimes. Will this day of the Lord really be a good thing for you? Yes. Yes, it will. 
Because God has started the job through Jesus, so we can be sure he will finish. Jerusalem, in Isaiah's time, was all but destroyed. Yet beyond judgment, there lies salvation. Whatever struggle or doubt you're going through, even if it doesn't feel like it, God's promises remain unchanged and they will be fulfilled. You can trust God. In this world of uncertainty, there is truth and it's found in Jesus. Remain in him. Trust in him. Believe in him. Okay, so our second point. I've got... Very quickly, six things that show us that God is the greatest vine grower. The greatest vine grower. What God is doing, going to do through Jesus, it makes Jesus so beautiful and glorious. So, back to Isaiah 4. Firstly, verse 2. The fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of survivors. Now, fruitfulness of the land was one of the promises God had made um, to his people. It was supposed to be a visible sign of God's grace, that um, he'd chosen them as his people. And yet in Isaiah's time, they've experienced desolation of the land at at the hand of their enemies, um, right up to the city walls. But in that day, in the day of the Lord, God's provision will be their pride and their glory. God is good. Second thing, those who were left in Zion... Verse 3, those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. These faithful survivors will be holy. That is, they'll be set apart for for God, faithful to him, uh, and morally reflecting his character. God is good. But how will this happen? I mean, we've seen in previous chapters just how... God's people have arrogantly rejected him and we've thought about how we even when we're really trying still go wrong how can this vision of Israel be Israel's future and our future well the third thing to notice about this this salvation the third thing in verse 3 is that they are recorded among the living as in Psalm 69 and and also places in Revelation. It's no accident that these holy ones are are there. Because God has recorded them in his book of life. God's plan is for them to be there, to be holy. And so that is what will happen. God is good. Fourth thing, they'll be holy because God will wash away their sin inside and out. But how? How? Uh, John 15, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Hebrews 10.10 puts it like this. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. They'll be made holy by the branch, Jesus. Uh, This will happen by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. There will be a sorting out, a separating of the faithful from the unfaithful, and there will be destruction. John 15, again, verses 5 and 6. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. God always does the right thing. God is holy, so he must see justice done. And God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to bless those who belong to him as he promised he would. God is good. Fifth thing. God will create a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Well, what's so good about that? But if you think back to Exodus, so when God's people in Exodus came out of Egypt and were in the wilderness, God led them and guided them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. So Isaiah is saying here, God's guiding and protecting presence will be with them always. God will not give up on the promises he's made his people. God is good. Finally, the sixth thing, there will be a canopy over everything. So back in the book of Numbers, uh, this canopy appeared over the tabernacle, which was like, kind of like the mobile temple. Um, when the tabernacle was up, this canopy was there, signaling God's presence and God's protection. But in this future Jerusalem, God's glory be over everything and everyone. God's people will be secure in his presence forever. God is good. God will bring a day. It's a day of justice, a day of judgment. But God judging his people doesn't mean he's giving up on them. Destruction is not God's final purpose for his people. So Isaiah's given us a pretty vivid picture of God's goodness on that day. But just in case that's not enough, he also breaks into a song. A song about a vineyard. I will say, no, I won't sing it to you, I promise. You won't, it wouldn't be helpful to anybody. But from verse 5, uh, sorry, from chapter 5, verse 1. I will sing for the one I love. A song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower over it, in it, and cut out a wine press as well. Uh, I reckon if you had to put a genre to this song, it'd probably be, I don't know, like a, a pub song, kind of sing-along song, or may, maybe country and western, I'm not sure. But because he's singing about things that his hearers will be familiar about. You know, a vineyard was a typical part of any sort of local economy. It's like somebody now singing about the local bakery or Aldi or something like that. Good specials this week. This was, this was all familiar. You know, to set up a vineyard, you'd have to, like Israel was full of limestone, so you'd have to, from the field, you'd have to clear out all the limestone rocks and you'd use those to make a wall around it. Um, and if you were making the best vineyard, you know, you wanted to make a Penfold's Grange or something, you'd dig a vat in the vineyard so the grapes are done there and there. And you might, if you're really specky, even build a watchtower 
to look out for thieves and wild animals. And that's what the subject of this song has done. He's left no stone unturned, literally. No stone unturned in pursuit of a good crop, a good grape. He's got no good reason to expect anything other than the choicest grapes to be produced. Now, I don't know much about growing vines or growing anything really, but I've got to say, I am a better baker than Sharon. Now, that's because, that's not because Sharon's a baker, Sharon's a great cook and much more imaginative and creative in the kitchen. But I reckon with baking, you've just got to stick with the recipe. There's no room for any game improvisation or I think, oh, I'll just change that. And that's exactly what I do. I'm devoid of imagination in the kitchen. I just follow the recipe exactly. I'm the kind of person that measures it to the gram, you know, and uh, and I'll get out a ruler to make sure the tin it recommends is the right diameter and depth, that sort of thing. And if I do all that, I, I expect the cake to come out really well. But it doesn't always work out that way. Verse 2. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Literally, you could translate that bad fruit, stink fruit. So our last point, the vines produce a bad vintage. So the vine grower has done more than he needed to do. He's provided in every way the best possible start for these vines. Yet they produce bad fruit. Um, The song changes to the vine grower's perspective now at verse 4. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I've done for it? It's a rhetorical question. We're thinking, well, nothing. Isaiah's audience probably singing back, nothing. When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? This is not a a winemaker's, hmm, I wonder what happened to that crop. No, it's more an incredulous How on earth could this, the most cared for vine, not produce good fruit? So the the vine grower takes the most reasonable course of action. Verse 5. Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will take down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. The audience is probably nodding along. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what I'd do. You shouldn't waste your effort on a vine like that. I wish someone would tell my cousin Isaac to get rid of his vine. His wine is terrible. That's what I think. But then comes the twist. The vine grower says, I will command the clouds not to rain on it. What kind of vine grower can tell it not to rain? The vine grower is God himself. Verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. See, God had chosen the nation of Israel to be his people, to be a light to the nations, to show them the goodness of God. And instead, their sinfulness has produced a stench worse than the idol worshippers who are now invading them. Uh, Last week, uh, John talked about how Olympic cities are photoshopped, everything's spruced up just in time for the games. And these days, there's an effort to um, incorporate sporting legacy into games. But look at these venues from Athens. 
all that effort, all that money poured in, and now turned to ruin. See, Isaiah confronts God's people with their sinfulness, with their rebellion against God. And he he spells out exactly what makes them bad fruit more in the rest of the chapter. The rest of the chapter kind of explains this, and I recommend you to read it. Um, Have you ever been in the city early in the morning? I used to see this a lot um, when I was working at the Rastine at 7 or 8 a.m. You see people doing the walk of shame. Now, I'm sure nobody here has ever done it, but it's, it's when people gingerly make their way home, a bit worse for wear, after an out on the towels. And that outfit that was perfect for the late night bar kind of jars against the, the daylight and the cold morning air. It stand out like a sore thumb. Now, there's nothing wrong with making your way home safely. Good thing. But I think the incongruity that you see, that just looks out of place, it comes from the fact that we feel like certain ways of being are okay, depending on the situation. In the Jerusalem that Isaiah is confronting, they've become comfortable in their ignoring God. Verse 7 again. He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. See, most of the world is comfortable ignoring God. If you go down Brighton Jetty Road now, it's one of the busiest times of the week down there. And why? Because it's normal in our city to ignore God. But with this song, Isaiah is asking us, don't you see how good God is? Don't you see how insane it is for this vine for God's people to produce bad fruit. And can you see why the right thing for God to do is to reject this vine? But this song is about the people of Israel in Isaiah's time. <clears throat> Excuse me. What, what's the message for us today? Well, handily, we get an update of sorts, a kind of a sequel to the song in one of Jesus' parables that we heard read earlier from Matthew 21. If you can just turn to there now. So by the time Jesus comes along, Israel's leaders have been, according to Jesus, have been like tenants of a vineyard who have killed the vine and his servants. And that's alluding to the fact that um, prophets that God had sent, their message and the prophets had continually been rejected by Israel's leaders. And Jesus predicts in the parable that they will reject the owner's son. Jesus himself will be rejected. And they'll kill him in an attempt to hold on to power. So what will God do about this? So in reality, not in the parable now, verse 43, Matthew 21, 43. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, the current religious leaders. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Other people. 
That's us. God isn't going to let Israel's rebellion against him get in the way of his plan. He's not going to let their rebellion stop him gathering a people to himself in a glorious future on that day. God grafts us into his branch, Jesus, and we become the fruitful ones. John 15, 5 again. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're not a Christian here today, I expect the idea of you carrying on as nearly everybody else is, ignoring God, as that leading to your destruction is pretty offensive and probably raises a lot of questions for you, along with, uh, you know, what does it mean to remain in Jesus? Please chat to me or, or Tim afterwards. I'd be happy to answer your questions. But for now, I would say to you, God is good. He's been good to you, creating you, sustaining you, uh, giving you each breath. He even sent his son, Jesus, to die for you, to suffer in your place, so that you can have a perfect, eternal future with him, a future that none of us deserve. Can you see it's wrong to reject this God? Can you see his right to judge you for rejecting him? If you are a Christian, you are saved. That glorious future, enjoying God forever, that's your future. But I wonder, has your situation, has, it, has your conscience been dulled? Do you need Isaiah's song to wake you up and see what it is that you've become comfortable with that you shouldn't have done? Have you lost track of how serious sin is, how serious God takes sin? We're spending the whole term in Isaiah. Use it to recenter yourself, to remind yourself what offends God, to remind yourself what pleases God, to remind yourself what kind of life is consistent with the new Jerusalem to which you are headed, and to keep turning to Jesus, to keep remaining in the true vine. Like I said, I can't cultivate much, but if you have a look at this, this is Adrian yesterday helping me out in my garden. Uh, this is a, 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 a vine of ivy. He's pointing to, you can't really see it, there's a big thick trunk that the ivy all comes from. And these branches go nuts. And they even they grow in the darkest of places. They, grow in, they come through the shed and grow inside the shed, even when it's all closed up. Because they remain in the vine. Use this time in Isaiah to prompt you to keep turning to Jesus and remain in him. And use this time in Isaiah to remind yourself that God is good. To remind yourself that God has a purpose and a plan for his people. It's a glorious plan centered on Jesus and he will make it happen. Let's pray.